a handful of folks. I've had a lot of people express interest, and I uh, I, I wanted to take a moment to talk about it just because um, because it's actually kind of going to relate to what we're doing in the sermon today. Actually, <laughs> um, the group is going to look at what does it mean to be um, like a man after God's own heart, or what does it mean to be like like a man that's reflecting what God meant men to be. And, and so, like, as we kind of dive into that topic in a few weeks, we're going to be meeting at my house. We are going to barbecue. We are going to eat a lot of meat um, as a first week. That is the objective. And so, men, if you are interested, um, I will give an overview of what the group is going to be on the Sunday after next. And that will be done while eating what? Do I have my weeks wrong, honey? So two, all right, well, I'm still planning on that, <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll deal with that in a minute. Um, but men, that is what I'm planning on doing. We're going to have guys meeting at my place um, as a start. Um, for the duration of it, we're planning on doing Sunday afternoons. We will not be, what? You should. <laughs> um, for the duration of it, we will not just be sitting around and talking. Um, the objective is for us to do stuff. Um, when when we meet, we will uh, we will do things. We'll start by eating because that's what men do. Um, but I, I'm, I've had people ask about shooting, and I've had people ask about a couple other things. Um, and so, just be aware. Starting one, what two weeks from now? Barbecue, men, my place, beginning of like our group. The other thing we're doing in the beginning of October. We're going to be starting our marriage class, which looks like it's going to happen on Thursday because everybody keeps saying Thursday. Um, if I had, I've had, I've had seven, I think seven couples talk to me about it. If I have um, any more, we may break it into two. I don't know. Um, if you're interested but Thursdays don't work, let me know so I can plan for it because there's a potential that we may have to break it into two because we have, like, that's a lot of people. Make sense? Um, okay. As we dive into this week's message, I wanted to kind of talk, like, first off about marriage and, and what it means to be a man, mainly because I, I've spent years teaching about both, and I, I've had a lot that I've learned in maybe the last three to four years. And, and the biggest thing that I've learned, like, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this about me, but I talk a lot. I, I know it's a shock, but, but it, you know, God gave me one good gift <laughs> and and I and I use it as much as possible. I am a one-trick pony, and and that trick involves me opening my mouth and stuff coming out. Um, and and as a married man, for a long time, I got really good at saying things, right? Um, and in the last three years, the strongest, just most powerful lesson I have learned um, is that as good as I am at talking, as good as I am at picking the right words. Nothing, nothing, nothing compares um, to doing the right things. You give me a man who says the right thing every time, put him next to a silent guy who does the right thing over and over again, um, and I'll show you one of them that's doing a great job of showing his wife how much he loves her, right? I say I love you, that's one thing. If I watch the kids while you're sick, that's another, right? I say I love you. You know, and I and I write you poems or something that's powerful. I clean the house when you don't have time to do it. That's a different animal, isn't it? Um, and as we begin looking at what it means to 
to be a man. We're going to be doing the last chapter of Nehemiah. So this is technically the last sermon in the Nehemiah series, but the next few sermons will look at what God intended for men to be, right? And we live in a culture that has this confused um, and is kind of sideways about it. Um, There are things I like about the way our culture talks. There are things I don't like. Um, There are things that are in harmony with the scriptures and there are things that are way out in left field. Um, as far as how husbands should act, how men should act, what it means to be a godly man. And the church has it wrong an awful lot um, as a whole. I, I suspect if the church had its way, there would be a lot of men who would sit around and cry together. Does it feel that way sometimes? Like, and it's kind of, I don't think that's how God made us to be. Um, not that sometimes it isn't important to have emotions and feelings, like hunger. Hunger's a feeling. Um, but as I, as I dive into this week's message, we're going to look at kind of a, a base level of, of, um, of what God looks for in a man that's after his own heart. I think I have a slide that says that. Um, to be a man after God's own heart from a base level. We're going to talk about pursuing holiness, actually. Um, the story so far, um, it's okay, Nehemiah is not that bad. Um, <laughs> the story so far, and this is the whole book. Go back and listen to the sermons. I can't cover everything. Nehemiah was a servant in the, in the king's court. He was like the king's right-hand man because he was the cupbearer. Um, he found out that the city of Jerusalem was a wreck, and he gets permission to go and rebuild it. So he becomes governor. He rebuilds the wall. Then he rebuilds the population. And then he starts a religious revival. And then he goes back because the king really... Nehemiah, and actually at the beginning of the conversation about going, he says, when are you coming back? You do not get to leave forever. You're too important to me. And so Nehemiah goes, and he's gone for 12 years, 12 years. It's not a small amount of time. Um, And then he goes back to the king, and after an undisclosed amount of time, he goes back to check out how things are going. Um, This is at the tail end of all this religious reform. One of the big things was separating the people. Um, It was something that God emphasized heavily in dealing with his people. Do not be like everyone else. Got it? You know, and and the Jewish people would be like, well, wait a minute. We could have great political alliances. And God would say, well, I'm on your side. You don't really need alliances. You got me. Um, And they'd say, well, but wait a minute. What about their money? Like, what if we want their money? Well, no, don't worry. I'll make you rich on my own. Well, what about this? What about that? And they over and over again, and God has repeatedly been staunch on this in the Old Testament, Jewish people remain separate, do not blend in, do not intermarry, do not like take on their religious practices, stay set apart. A lot of the laws in the Old Testament, when you read them, they don't seem to make sense. You read people, you know, well, why can't you eat lobster? That's ridiculous. Eating lobster was about being separate, right? I'm not going to get into it at length today. Um, One of the laws, though, we are going to talk about um, was explicitly about being separate. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, The first three verses talk about, we're not going to do the first three verses. We're going to do a lot of verses. I'm going to try and work through them quick. Um, The first three verses, though, talk about the last thing that they did. They looked around, they read the law, and they said, oh, wait a minute. We're not supposed to have these foreigners mixing into these aspects of our lives, and they just separated them, right? And then Nehemiah leaves. Um, Now, before this, Eliashab, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, who was related to Tobiah. For those of you guys who don't know, Tobiah is mentioned repeatedly in this book. He was a bad guy. 
right? He was one of Nehemiah's enemies. He um, helped start rumors to stop the building projects for repairing the walls. He um, helped rally an army to go out and kill the Jewish people. Tobiah is a big jerk, right? But once the building projects were done, Tobiah came back and said, well, wait a minute. Can't we have some sort of alliance now? And Nehemiah basically um, offered him the backhand of fellowship and said, get away. You're not welcome here. You know, you, now you want to be our friend. No, you know, you're not welcome. So this fellow, who's related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they, were, where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by command to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year, this is 12 years after, of King Artaxerxes, king of Babylon I, uh, I went to the king. Um, And after some time, I asked leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashab had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. So Nehemiah, leaves while he's gone one of the relatives of this fellow who's an enemy starts like he says well wait a minute the temple seems like a great place for you to do business now we keep the food for the workers here we're going to go ahead and get rid of all that and you can have this room right just set up an office do business and there are a couple reasons why this isn't okay um for starters um tobiah is a big jerk and so he shouldn't be welcome Um, But the next half of that is that Tobiah is a foreigner. Tobiah isn't a Jewish person. By law, he wouldn't be allowed in the temple at all, right? He wouldn't be allowed to come in the front door. They would not have welcomed him at all. Um, And so, like, they they do this thing that's a problem. Nehemiah comes back. He discovers it. And we find out Nehemiah wasn't very cool with it. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber Um, Then I gave orders that they cleanse the chamber, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So, like, Nehemiah walks in, and he says, this is a storeroom. Why is there household furniture here? He finds out what's going on, and he literally drags the guy's furniture out and throws it in the street. Like, (laughs) he gets angry, and he tosses everything out. He says, nope, this ain't happening. Um, He doesn't have a discussion. He doesn't tell the priest or Tobiah, hey, can you pack up and get your stuff out? He walks in the door, he gathers it all up, and he dumps it. Um, it's a little like what I would expect if I ever like, got caught cheating on my wife, right? I would come home and everything I own would be in the street, not on the lawn, <laughs> not the shotgun. <laughs> um, why? Why is this such a big deal? It has to do with the word holiness. Holiness means to be set apart and kept pure, right? Um, The analogy I often use is marriage. I want my relationship with my wife to be holy, meaning like nobody else gets to hit on her, right? Nobody else gets to hold her hand except the kids. Nobody else, I mean like nobody else carries her picture in their wallet, like except maybe her dad. Like we're, we're, we're exclusive. She is my wife and that's like set apart. Right? I want that set apart and like with a lot of distance set apart. Um, this is God's, like God's temple. This temple is set apart. It is holy. Right? It is a place that is supposed to be like kept for, for special use specifically, like in service of God. And he comes in and he sees 
you know what, not only are you not using it for what it's supposed to be used for, but you're inviting our enemies in. So you're kind of cheating our people, and you're making alliance with folks to make money off of, like, God. And his response is pretty decisive, right? Let's go ahead and, you know, clean this out. It's not welcome. He, he, he gets angry. Is it wrong to be angry? Sometimes. It isn't wrong to be angry um, when our anger produces holiness, when our anger makes the world um, more into what God desires it to be. Now, there's sometimes folks will say, oh, well, I can get angry then and beat up bad people. Nope. I can get anger. I can, I can get angry at people who, like, are starving, right? And that anger can drive me to do something about it. That is anger that makes the world a better place, right? If I see the church doing something that's, that's wrong, anger, like, may drive me to do something about it, right? Does that mean I can yell and break stuff? No, it doesn't become an excuse to not act in, like, a Christ-like way, but anger can drive us to act, right? And actually, there's a cool thing. Does anybody know the parallel in this verse where we see this happen somewhere else in the Bible? Where? Yeah, it's the same building. Yeah, Jesus shows up, and the money changers are there, and they're selling their wares. And actually, what they were doing, they, they, they had it where, like, if you walked into the temple, they'd say, oh, Caesar's money is wicked. So you have to use temple money. And we'll exchange it for a price. Can you get temple money anywhere else? No, just from us. So we're going to take like 15% off the top of your offering, and it doesn't mean you can offer less. And so they were basically cheating the people. And Jesus shows up and says, what? And he makes a whip out of cords, and he literally whips the people who were like cheating folks, and he tosses their tables over, and he clears the temple out, and he says, hey, hey, this is God's house. We take this seriously. Well, what do we do with that? Does that mean that I can make a whip and chase Craig out sometimes? I, it's been suggested in elders' meetings. I've opposed it every time. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, what it means is when I look at my life, watch this, when I look at my life, when I look at the parts of my life and my family that are specifically for God, and I see that, like, I'm, I'm in the process of misusing or, like, there are things around me that aren't right, like, it's important to make them right. When I, um, I realized a few years ago, um, I do not take time apart to spend with God. Like, that's something I struggle with. My wife has to get after me to make me take days off. Because I'll just work every day. I mean, I, I do. I work seven days a week usually. I answer the phone. I, you know, run errands. I, I work every day. And, like, that's not really what's supposed to be. I'm supposed to take time off to spend with God in the same way I'm supposed to take my wife out on dates occasionally, right? Because that's part of having a relationship. You spend time with the person you have a relationship with. Like, we're supposed to take time to spend with God. Um, in this case, like, we're supposed to treat God's deal as, as something that glorifies him, not something to get us advantage, right? Um, we're supposed to treat ministry, we're supposed to treat following Jesus as a way of following Jesus and growing closer to him and not as a way of, like, lining my pockets or making me feel prideful or anything else. The best place to start, and, and Nehemiah, I think we don't see this in the text, but I'm going to tell you that one of the best places to start, the most important place to start for a man who pursues being a man after God's own heart, I think we see it in Nehemiah here because he does what Jesus did later, right? Um, is to search inward and saying, am I... And ask the question, am I doing this? 
Am I, am I being holy? Am I being set apart? Or am I surrounding myself with garbage? Am I, am I allowing things that I shouldn't allow? Um, as a husband, if I sit and look at, you know, the, the, the websites I probably would get killed by my wife for looking at, I don't. But if I were to do that, that would be like infringing on the holiness of my marriage, right? But I also offend God in the process. Um, if I pursue things that like infringe on holiness, that infringe on like, like that set-apart relationship between me and God and between my wife and I and my family and I and me and y'all, like I need to hunt that stuff down and I need to like be serious about cleaning it up. Um, if I'm not serious about cleaning it up, I'm treating it with a light attitude, that's, that's not okay. Um, we keep going in that same uh, section. Uh, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled to each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. And then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the wine and the oil to the storehouses. Um, and I appointed as treasurer over the storehouses Shalemiah, the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pediah of the Levites, and his assistant Hanan, son of Zechur, um, son of Matthiah, I'm bad at Hebrew names, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. So he turns around and he says, okay, nobody's feeding the Levites. The only job they have is to service the temple. Nobody's taking care of them. Why? Because they stopped collecting the tithe because they were using the storerooms as business offices. There's nowhere to put the stuff, and they were probably pocketing it. I mean, if you're going to be really uncharitable. And so he basically fires everyone who's involved, hires new guys, resets the temple. And he turns around and he says, God, I set this stuff right. Remember it. Don't let it go back the way it was. You know, remember the work I'm doing and protect it. Um, the bottom line of what Nehemiah does, and this is huge, right? He protects the temple. He makes sure that it goes back to the serious state it's supposed to be in. And then he turns around and he says, God, I did what you wanted, but it's only going to stay that way if you keep up with it. Like part of being a man after God's own heart is the realization that it is our job to work. It is our job to do, right? But we accomplish if God is there. We accomplish if God, like, provides service. We provide, you know, we accomplish if, like, if, like, God sustains it. As much as I'm, like, excited about the ministry we do in this community, right? I'm excited that our church, like, does things to make this, this community more like God's kingdom, that we tell people about Jesus, that we, like, pursue that. Like, I'm very excited about that. At the end of the day, like, when I go out and I, I do my prayers every day, one of the things I talk about is, like, God, this is your deal. Don't let me forget it. And don't let it go because, like, if I die tomorrow, it'll keep going if it's God's desire, right? Um, if, if any of you disappear, like, God will continue to do the work he does here because it's God's deal. Right now, it's my job to do it. He put me here to do it, I believe, right? Um, but that doesn't change. Like, and if it does change, God will keep it up because God is in charge. Um, we're going to keep going. Um, in those days, so he's in the city, he fixes the temple problem, he goes out, and in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. 
bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when the food, excuse me, and I warned them on the day when they sold food. Uh, Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Um, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Um, Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all the disaster on us and and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened again until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought into the city on the Sabbath day. So Nehemiah looks and he says, wait a minute, you guys are doing things on the Sabbath like you're not supposed to. Now, mind this, about three chapters ago, the whole city gathered up and they signed an agreement saying, hey, we're going to set apart Sabbath and we're not going to sell goods and we're not going to... So all these guys had actually signed their names on a piece of paper saying they weren't going to do this. Nehemiah leaves and then they're like, all right, he's gone. Let's get back to business. Forget what I wrote. Let's do what's, what we're doing. Um, the Sabbath is Saturday. Y'all are aware of that, right? Um, it is the day that was set apart for God. And it's a symbol, right? Watch this. The Jewish people were set apart different from the rest of the world, and they were supposed to be God's people. They belonged to God. It was, he was theirs, right? Like my wife, she's mine, I'm hers, right? Like the Jewish people are set apart for God's purpose. And Sabbath was the day they were supposed to set apart to spend with him, and it was symbolic of them being set apart from the rest of the world. Well, they started inviting foreigners in who were selling goods, and it's okay because they're selling the goods. We're just buying them, you know, like that sort of justification that happens there. Oh, they're the ones sinning. I'm just buying fish. Um, And Nehemiah says, wait a minute. No, this isn't we signed an agreement, guys. Sabbath is a big deal. People ignored it once upon a time. Remember when God destroyed the city and we didn't have walls that we just rebuilt people? Um, You know, remember all of that? And so Nehemiah turns around, and what he does is he shuts the gates. He says, you know what? If you're going to bring in goods from the outside, we're going to lock the doors. I built some pretty big walls. Bring them in. Try it. Right? And, he, and he's serious. He says, listen, we are not going to take this lightly. This is what God has set us apart for. Um, as believers today, like, um, we're to look at our lives, men in particular. And I say this to men because, um, like, none of us earn holiness, Everybody with me? You cannot be good enough and you cannot like try hard enough to be considered holy. We're holy because Jesus died for us. Because Jesus Christ took my sin and like had all of God's wrath heaped upon him. I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. We are all brought into grace. And holiness that we have is Jesus' holiness. So it's like we're wearing Jesus' holy, holy suit, right? Like, hey, look, I'm, I'm holy because I got Jesus on me. And then like, well, now that I'm wearing the nice suit, I'm going to go out and dig a ditch in the yard. Right, I think the messiest I've ever seen. I Craig had a water problem at his place, and I went out on a rainy day, and they were out digging ditches in the yard, like this ditch in the yard, like like, and it was just it was mud. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it was it was mud like beyond normal Montana mud. I mean, to give you some scale here, I mean it was multiples of normal Montana mud, and and he was just head to toe covered and caked in mud, 
And, and it'd be a little like saying, well, I'm going to put on my Jesus suit, my clean, white, nice outfit, and I'm going to go dig ditches now. They actually were called, once we're given grace, to step aside from the mess and, and live holy and stay clean, right? I'm, I'm going to barbecue this afternoon, and I'm not going to wear a nice shirt while I eat, right? Do you know why? Because I'm going to make a mess. If I'm wearing my nice shirt, I don't eat things that will make a mess of me. Um, if I am holy, if I am set apart, I will stay away from things that will make me messy again because I'm taking Jesus with me. Not because I've earned Jesus, but because I'm given grace and forgiveness through him, um, a gift. And so Nehemiah looks and says, hey, we're not going to do this work on the Sabbath business. We're not doing it. And he stops it. Um, just a little bit of a variation, by the way. What Jesus teaches us is we're supposed to take time to spend with God. The Sabbath wasn't made for us to do ourselves. Hey, it's not your job to do it. It's your gift from God, right? I try to do date nights with my wife. We got to go on a date this week because um, Dusty is awesome and came and watched our, our little ruffians for an evening. Um, and, and when we went out, that time is for us to spend together, not because we have to spend it together. Got it? It's not like, all right, well, let's get this over with. <laughs> um, if I were to say that, how long would I live? Um, <laughs> she wouldn't make it quick. <laughs> My wife is a lovely and awesome woman with a, with a spirit that is um, not to be tampered with. It is, is awesome. Um, <laughs> she says that, oh, you make me look so bad. I'm Anyway, um, when we come into Sabbath, when we come into things that are for God, we, we approach them and say, this is good. This is what I get, right? This is fantastic. It's not, all right, let's get this over with. Or, hey, is there a way I can cheat this? Um, when Jesus shows up, there are, there are rules about, um, they came up with extra rules. Well, can I travel on the Sabbath? Well, no, that would be work. How far can I go from home? Ten miles. So people would, like, take their tent, travel ten miles, set up their tent, eat a meal, pick up their tent, go ten more miles because that's the new home right? That's cheating. But it's about law then, right? It's not about, hey, I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to spend time with my wife. Um, a man after God's heart um, approaches things like that are a gift as a gift. And he keeps them set apart and he keeps them holy and he treats them right. That's family. That's everything, right? Um, then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So they show up, the gates are closed, and they're like, yeah, we'll wait. Um, but I warned them, and I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time, <laughs> from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Um, so they show up and they camp out and they're like, yep, Nehemiah ain't going to be here forever. They'll let us in. Um, anybody who gathers around and entices you or your family to sin is somebody you should encourage to leave, right? If my wife's ex-boyfriends were to suddenly start calling just to have conversations, there would be, there would be a brief um, but decisive conversation we would have, Right? Um, and, and it would be very unpleasant um, if, if, you know, because, because you can't take those things lightly um, because this is holy, 
right? And in the same way, Nehemiah turns around and says, nope, you are not going to entice my people back into this. Get out of here or there's going to be a problem. Um, he doesn't discuss it with them. He doesn't try to negotiate with them. He acts decisively, right? And it is not wrong to act decisively. Um, I'm going to keep going. Last section in the book. In those days, I also saw that the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. So he looks around and he's like, wait a minute. You people have married a whole bunch of folks who you weren't supposed to marry. Like, there were rules about this. What are you doing? And you signed agreements not to. And so as soon as Nehemiah left, they're like, hey, he's gone. Let's go ahead and get married. Um, a cultural reference here, by the way. Um, this is not about, like, marriage as we understand it, okay? Marriage now has a great deal to do with love, right? Like, you decide who you want to marry, and you get married. In the ancient world, marriage had a great deal to do with economic security and like advancement. So you would have a daughter and a daughter was a wonderful thing because you could marry your daughter to another family who had property and then you would have a claim on that property and an alliance. If you had a son, that was good because your son could bring a daughter into the family, make more kids who would keep the farm, right? I see a lot of folks around here who manage that. They have boys and those boys drive combines. They have girls who drive combines actually. Um, kids are great because they're farmhands, right? In this context, it's kind of the same thing. Hey, this is a great thing. Like, Nehemiah's gone. Let's start shoring up our alliances, right? And they start basically inviting foreigners in. And they say, hey, come on, let's go ahead and get married while Nehemiah's gone. And this includes some of the priests, which is a huge deal. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, and half of their children spoke the languages of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat them and pulled out some of their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters to your sons for yourselves. So he comes in and he discovers people have, like, cheated on this. And he calls them into a room and he says, What the heck, people? We agreed. You signed a sheet. You said before God that you wouldn't do this. And some of them, I think, got a little indignant, and Nehemiah responded like with the swift-handed fellowship. Um, <laughs> like it becomes violent. But Nehemiah doesn't back down and say, okay, well, because you're tough, I'll let you win. Nehemiah stands up for what's right. I am not advocating fighting. Though if any of you try to marry my daughter, your children, <laughs> there's going to be a problem. <laughs> the point being, Nehemiah comes to this and he says, what are you people doing? They give him grief and there's a fight and Nehemiah doesn't back down. Instead, he makes them swear, you're not going to marry your kids around in this place. Your kids, you know, you're, you basically cut yourself off from our country. You're gone. Because like, once they start marrying outside of the nation, they're going somewhere else. Why is it a big deal that the kids didn't speak the language? By the way, there were two kingdoms of Israel, the Judah and the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was brought away into slavery, like just before the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom came back because they did not intermarry, and they maintained their language, and they maintained their customs, and they maintained their books. They kept separate. The northern kingdom disappeared because they went off and they married anyone that would show up. Like they said, well, hey, let's, we're here. Let's go ahead and make shop. We're not our people anymore. We're their people, and they forgot. And they were gone. And God said, do not take this lightly. Keep yourself set apart. And so Nehemiah says, take it seriously. Be set apart. Don't jump into the mess with these people. Keep yourself separate. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? So Solomon, wisest man in the world, had like a thousand wives, so he wasn't that wise. 
among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women, because what Solomon did was he would make contracts with foreign nations, and he would marry their wives, and what happened is these wives came in and they started saying, honey, we used to worship Baal. I want to worship Baal. If a wife nags long enough, what's the husband going to do? Put up a temple so she'll shut up, right? And so before you know it, they've got temples all over the place to foreign gods. And then the wife is saying, Solomon, you never go to temple to worship Baal with me. He's like, all right, fine, I'll go. Just back off. And he starts going. And before you know it, Solomon is worshiping foreign gods. And like he brings a whole lot of corruption to the nation because he sort of created these attachments. He was like, this is okay. Right? This is fine. Um, Because it makes my wife happy. Um, Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoahida, the son of Eliashab, we mentioned Eliashab earlier, right? Um, This is a different one. He's the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Anybody remember Sanballat? Enemy of the nation, right? <laughs> tried to stop the building project, stop, you know, tried to kill the Jewish people, tried to do all of these horrible things. And the high priest kid married one of them, one of his family. So there's now an alliance with the enemy in the temple. And Nehemiah is ticked. Therefore, I chased him from me. He kicked him out of the, out of the city. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from every foreign, everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and the Levites. Each in his work I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh God, um, for, you know, for good. Um, what do we do with this? Well, first off, um, we teach God's word in our home. We make sure that our homes are serious about following him, right? Um, we don't take that lightly. We don't mix other stuff in because it seems cool at the time. We don't compromise on what we believe and teach because it's not very popular. We take following Jesus seriously, and we make it a part of our family, and we don't invite in garbage that makes it otherwise. Like men in particular, I say this, the New Testament hints at the fact that men bear a special responsibility before God, Right? Which, by the way, is why you should respect men because they have more responsibility. They got more, like, like, you know, they got more punishment coming if they screw up. But on the other end of that, like, they're deserving of a different degree of respect because, like, they have a job, and that job is to lead their families, is to lead, you know, their community, to like stand up and say, God, I'm, I'm representing you, and and when it comes to things that are outside of God's deal for us, God's plan, God's design, we have to take it seriously. We have to back up and say, nope, this isn't going to be in my house. Nope, this isn't going to be a part of how my kids learn. This isn't going to be a part of what my kids take on. This isn't going to be part of our practices. This isn't going to be... My wife and I, uh, we watch movies together and television. And one of the first things I try to do when I pick out a TV show to watch is I hit the Internet Movie Database and they got a little tab about halfway down that says parental guide. And I'll read through it and I'll say, oh, my wife and I are probably not going to watch this because this is pretty dirty. I don't really want that to be a part of my marriage. Well, that seems kind of stringent. Well, I don't really want that to be a part of my marriage. My marriage is God's marriage. I'm not going to bring that in, right? 
Um, oh, look at what my kids are watching. I don't want my kids watching everything there is out there. My wife and I, we used to let Abby just, you know, she'd turn on Netflix and just jump around and watch different cartoons until one day I, I heard my wife say, or my daughter say something that came off of a cartoon that was, uh, what did she say? Uh, all the children will like me because I have a pretty dress. <laughs> nope. That's not the values you're going to learn. And so that's not a value that's in our house. She watches a lot less now. We pick. Um, there are more dinosaurs and trucks because we have a boy. I'm just. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point being, like, like men, um, a huge chunk of what God expects out of us and calls us to do is, um, is to chase after holiness in ourselves and our families and our households. Um, if we're going to reflect Jesus, if we're going to stand as his representatives, um, our, job, our job is to make sure our households reflect that, make sure our words and our deeds and our own lifestyles and the things we bring in on ourselves and the things that we like carry around because our kids watch, right? And our kids will become what we teach them to be. They will. Um, the world watches, and they know, they know when we're being dishonest, and they know when we're being hypocritical. Um, they do. We might fool ourselves, but denial only fools us, right? And don't fool anyone else. Um, but this isn't something that we do alone. We do it with the Holy Spirit. We do it with Jesus. Um, I'm going to call my men forward. This is a Sunday when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, do we have guys doing that? Yeah. Apparently Mike is. Uh, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're celebrating that um, Jesus died for us. That our holiness is not a product, our holiness is not a product of our own work. Our holiness is a product of Jesus dying for us and of us pursuing like Christ is a matter of holiness. Yes? Oh, it's the other way around. No, it's not. Um, I got folks taken to the nursery who's doing that. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he literally is about to go to the cross to take a punishment for our sins. He took his bread and he handed it to his disciples and he said, take this, this is my body, broken for you. Um, and what he was saying was, um, take this bread and eat it in a remembrance of me. We eat it, we literally are saying, I'm going to take Jesus' teaching, I'm going to take Jesus' heart, Jesus' soul, his love for holiness, his pursuit of God, um, I'm going to take this into me and make it a part of who I am. Um, it's going to be so much a part of me, it'll be like I consumed it. Um, and so as we do this this morning, take, take the bread as you feel called, as you feel led. Um, but remember, this is us saying, um, Jesus' life is going to be a part of my life. This is who I'm going to be.
And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he also took his cup and he said, Take this, this is my blood, shed for you as a sign of the new and everlasting covenant. He literally poured his blood out um, to cover our sins, to, to provide us um, an opportunity to be right before God. And as you take it, remember that it's by taking Jesus' blood on us, it's taking that teaching, taking that reality of who Jesus is into our lives and into our hearts and living it um, that we're given forgiveness, that we're given grace, that we're made into new creations. Um, Take it when you feel led.